We don't have those guys that start shit, but we got guys that don't run from shit. There's no place for that. You know, this has happened to other players throughout this league. Um, it is bullshit, if we're being honest with you. That ain't it. Roll over on Don's shoes and he swung at his dick. Clearly to me, Mitchell was the aggressor. Reggie didn't know what was happening. Stood up for that dick hunting prick. Mitchell threw the ball. Did you see Don toss him? Toss him. As he looked down on DB. Fucking pussy. Yeah, he's a first class asshole. And we both raced the rest of his team. We were blowing out Memphis. Quite frankly, I've been busting his ass for years. Jasmine Bates' muscles are just vanity. For show. Blowing out Memphis. Kick his face until it caves in. Maybe our scorekeeper can add some threes. It's a home game. You know, like blocks for JJJ. Fraudulent. That's what I'm saying here. I think everyone got it. Oh, what an evening. In Cavalier Country, welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am your host, lifelong Cav fan, which you can probably hear in my voice. Also, the voice of Fox Sports Radio here on this evening where the Cleveland Cavaliers, despite a dirty, dirty, unscrupulous dick punch from Dick Punch Merchant, Dick Punch McGee, a.k.a. Dylan Brooks, he tried to derail us, but he picked the wrong target because tonight, if you were going to punch anyone on the Cavaliers in the penis... It was Donovan Mitchell, who was shooting just 2 for 11 at the time, not having a good evening, and finished the evening, due to his ejection, with 6 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. Good news, though, that's about the worst news that I have to give you this evening. Because what transpired afterwards was just a shellacking. At the point Mitchell was ejected, they took a 5-point lead, 81-76, and by the end of the third quarter, they'd blown that bitch open. They were up by 12 points, 99-87. And why was that? Well, Jetty Osmond was huge. Dean Wade had some huge moments. Ricky Rubio had some huge moments. Evan Mobley, Darius Garland. Honestly, it's hard to pin down which of these Cavaliers is hauling around just the biggest monster in their shorts. The junkyard dong, if you will. But let's give it to Donovan Mitchell because if all it took was a rap on the top of the cock in order to galvanize this team to come together and humiliate this arrogant bunch of Memphis Grizzlies, then I think it's well worth it. Sure, perhaps it's not my place to dole out other people's dicks to be slugged for my edification, but indulge me just this one podcast. A resolute ass-kicking where Jared Allen, where Darius Garland, where Jetty Osman where Evan Mobley, Isaac Okoro, they all looked fantastic tonight. And defensively, talk about a clamp-up. Now, coming into this evening, the top two defenses in the NBA, as it were, was the Cavaliers and the Memphis Grizzlies. But, hanging a 15-point loss on the Grizz, they have now slid behind the Milwaukee Bucks into third place on the defensive rating list. And, don't look now, the Cavaliers second in net rating, number one in defense, and offensively coming on as well, 11th. So before we get into the actual meat of the podcast, this is not going to be a 10-minute pre-open. I'm getting to the show. Just one more thing for those arrogant Grizzlies. Maybe, maybe John Morant has a second team in the East that he'll want to look out for. Who do you look at around the league as you're studying and say, we're going to have to run through them? Celtics. No one in the West. Nah, I'm fine in the West. He's fine in the West, guys. The other six losses out of the last seven games, 
that all came against Western Conference teams. Just a blip on the radar. The Lakers, the Suns, the Kings, the Warriors, the Timberwolves, the Blazers, they've all defeated them since the last time we played the Grizzlies. But that's no big deal, Ja. No big deal at all. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. Oh, two hands. That'll bring the house down. Three on the way. Good. Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is. My favorite show. And now. Your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. Again, Bob Schmidt. Feel free to rate, subscribe, review the podcast if you enjoy what you're hearing here today. And certainly, today is a day in which most people would enjoy it. It's a victory. Those are the best kind of podcasts. And even better, we sent that filthy whore, whore, Dylan Brooks, home with a loss. Humiliated at the hands of our beloved Cleveland Cavaliers. How you like that, you filthy? Poor. Okay, so let's get right to the storylines that I think are the most important tonight. First of all, Darius Garland slighted before the game for the All-Star Reserve selection. Now, there were some surprises. I said on the last podcast I did two days ago who I thought the Eastern Conference All-Star Reserves would be. And the two guys I predicted who did not make it were James Harden, and Pascal Siakam. Neither guy made the team, and who made the team instead was Drew Holiday and DeMar DeRozan. Now, I have no problem with DeRozan making it. I think Holiday, I love Holiday. As a person, as a player, as a two-way player, he can do everything. He can guard bigs. He can guard smalls. He can play physical. He can play fast. He can set other people up. He's just the perfect plug-and-play starter on almost any team. So I beg of you, Cavalier fans, do not turn this into a Garland versus Drew Holiday debate. It's not necessary. We don't have to be like the Raptors fans. We don't have to tear down Mobley to build up Barnes. We don't have to tear down Bam Adebayo to build up Pascal Siakam. The fact of the matter is, Drew deserved it. So did Darius. It's a numbers game. Am I upset that he made it over Garland? A little, but not really. Here's the thing. There is a victory amongst a loss. Do I like being wrong? No. But if when I get to be wrong, it means that Pascal Siakam doesn't make the All-Star game and Bam Adebayo does, well then that is a victory for the Fear the Fro podcast. Because if there is one pointless debate that you should know that I've engaged in far too often on, on Raptors Twitter, which I, I'm not proud of myself, but I'm a small man who has thin skin and remembers slights and grievances. And I remember how much disrespect Raptors fans lobbed at Bam Adebayo saying that when Kevin Durant was talked about being traded and the Heat were rumored to be trying to figure out a way where they could flip Adebayo for Durant and the Raptors were talking about OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam, I saw so many conversations about how Bam isn't on the same level as Pascal Siakam. And so to see him miss the All-Star game, did I want Garland to miss the All-Star game? No. But here's another thing I will say. I am the type of person who would cut off my own nose, despite my face. So if Garland has to miss the All-Star game, but with that comes Siakam missing the All-Star game, I would rather that happen than both guys make the All-Star game. I know what you're saying. That's stupid, Bob. There's no logic behind that. There doesn't have to be logic behind hate, okay? We're all motivated by our own reasons. I am primarily motivated by hate and fear. 
Now, I don't do the dishes in a timely manner, despite my wife's desire for me to do those. If I was motivated by love, I would do the dishes. I love my wife. If she scared me, I would be motivated by fear. But I'm motivated by the fact that I hate doing the dishes, so I put it off. But other people are motivated by love, validation. Darius Garland, I think he might be more like me and that his motivation comes from negativity. There is nothing that will make me stay up and make a song all night more than somebody punching one of my favorite players in the dick. I think the hatred or the perceived disrespect or just the idea that people take him for granted, I think that pushes him to do even more. And I think we saw that tonight because right from the very tip-off, Darius Garland was assertive, was aggressive, was getting the bigs involved, was getting to the spots on the floor that he wanted, and he was finishing floaters, jumpers, three-pointers, finished through contact, drove to the rim, made some wonderful plays, and even drew some early whistles, which was big because this is a Cavalier team. Remember, a game ago, they went to the free-throw stripe, Mitchell and Garland together, just two times, both of them coming from Donovan Mitchell. So even though it may not sound big, For Darius Garland to equal the number of free throws that John Morant got was huge. And let's not forget that when the flagrants happened, when the ejections happened, Darius Garland didn't even take those free throws. He could have had even more. But instead, despite Evan Mobley going one for three from the stripe in the first half, Bickerstaff let Mobley shoot the free throws. If you want to say something should get JB fired, that's probably it. But they went in, so I'm going to give it a pass. And JB had some of that Donnie Dick swagger. In the post-game press conference, you heard the clip I put in the song, the thing that starts the whole thing out. Go back to the beginning of the podcast if you want to hear it. We don't have those guys that start shit, but we got guys that don't run from shit. I love that kind of rhetoric from JB. The We didn't start the fight, but we fucking finished it. That's what I like to see. The only thing that could have made it better was if he punctuated it with one of these. You fucking pussy! For Darius Garland... This is what I've been waiting for, a national game, and for him to put on the kind of display that really shows the casual NBA fans just exactly how big his bag is. Consider this. Last year, in his all-star season, Darius Garland, at this point in the season, February 2nd, was averaging 19.8 points, 8.2 assists, and 3.3 rebounds. And he was doing it on splits of 47-37. Right now... He's averaging 22 points, 8.2 assists, and 2.8 rebounds, and he's doing it on splits of 46 and 41. Better numbers. But, unfortunately, there's just a lot of guys who are also doing a lot of numbers this year. So, Darius Garland has not regressed. He's improved his scoring, he's a better three-point shooter, and he's doing it with Donovan Mitchell, a top-10 usage guy, just plopped into the mix. Since the new year, he's up to 23-9-3. So while I think we can all acknowledge that Donovan Mitchell is backing into this all-star break, his numbers seem to be falling, his efficiency, it's definitely falling. We'll touch on that in a bit. I'm not dwelling on the negative today, though, because this is one of the few pods where I get to just take my unpunched dick and drape it over the shoulder of the Memphis Grizzlies. DG's problem is the attention is off of him. People are looking at Halliburton like he's the new thing. And they're the same age. DG is 30 days older than Tyrese Halliburton, but because he did what he did last year, the bar is significantly higher this year. Meanwhile, speaking of backing into things, Halliburton backed into the All-Star Reserve spot. In the month of January, he played six games, averaged 17, 11, and 5. 
solid numbers, but his efficiency, not fantastic. 31% from three, and for a guy who doesn't turn over the ball as much, almost three and a half in the month of January. Four turnovers the last two games. So hopefully, with the Pacers up next, the Cavaliers can capitalize on that and take advantage of Halliburton before he gets back up to full speed again. And Darius Garland will have something to prove because that is one of the guards who kept him out of the All-Star game. I heard the Chase Down guys on with the Dunker Spot podcast, and I thought that Carter and Justin pointed out something, which isn't getting a ton of headlines, but is a huge part of this season, and that's Darius's stupid turnovers. They're a thing of the past. He is playing so efficiently, and again tonight, no turnovers in the first half. Now, there may be moments here and there where the shot selection is questionable when teams really figure out a good way to game plan against us, but for as good as the defense was for Memphis throughout the course of this season, they didn't have a goddamn clue how to stop Darius Garland tonight. But despite the fact our records are similar year to year, our expectations are not. And the expectations and the standard that people hold Darius to after having made the All-Star game last year is essentially being weaponized against him. But do not feel bad, because All-Star game or no All-Star game, Darius Garland is thriving. Tonight, Darius Garland was running the show from the very start, was number one on the team in attempts, and look at that. I mean, Mitchell got ejected. Take from that what you will. But second on the team in attempts, Evan Mobley. 17 shot attempts tonight. They went to him early and often. He finished the game with another great line. 17 points, 14 rebounds, 5 assists, a couple of blocks, which puts him at 19 points, 10 rebounds, and 3 assists since our first matchup with the Memphis Grizzlies, which was mid-January. He is rolling. He had his career high. He's had a couple of 20-point games. These last two games, he's just missed the 20-point barrier. 17-14-5, come on. Filling up the stat sheet. And seven offensive rebounds between he and Jared Allen. Another double-double for the throw. 18-11, four assists, two steals, two blocks. Turnovers were all over the place for the Memphis Grizzlies tonight. Jetty Osmond who tonight played 31 minutes, guys. 31 minutes after seven minutes the previous night. People who have been crying for JB to play Osman more, he heard him tonight. And whether that's because Levert was out or not, this is exactly what you wanted to transpire because Osman answered the call, and he answered the call on both ends. Seven for 11, so efficient. Four for eight from three-point land. So a big three-point shooting night tied for the team lead with Darius Garland in three-pointers made. And even bigger still, the first half, Osman had two steals and a block, and they came in the first half when he was a part of that 13-0 run, which really sent a message to Memphis that this was not going to be their night. They were not going to bully us, and they were not going to out-physical us, and they were not going to keep the plays going beyond the whistle. He ripped the ball away from, I think it was Roddy, I think it was David Roddy, in transition. He just picked his pocket. Then he got a chase down block on a guy, and he got another steal later on that led to a Lamar Stevens layup in transition. Osman was not just doing it on the offensive end, he was doing it both ways. 21 points. 21 points, guys. This backup unit we saw tonight, Dean Wade, didn't shoot much but knocked down two of his three shots, played serviceably. Ricky Rubio looking more and more comfortable. Lamar Stevens, he only played 12 minutes, but part of that big unit that went on that 13-0 run in the second quarter that consisted of a lot of bench play. Osman, Lamar Stevens, you had Isaac Okoro, you had Garland, and you had Allen. So three starters, two bench guys. But Okoro, for him to be in there, that trio, Osman, Stevens, and Okoro, all playing together, all guys 
who have kind of been competing to be showcased with one another. But Okoro tonight, just consistent and efficient. Knocked down all five of his looks. And John Morant, who was in foul trouble most of the evening, those weren't fouls on Darius Garland. Those were Some of those fouls came guarding Isaac Okoro. They were trying to hide him. They were trying to save him from fouls. And Okoro would not let him off the hook. But perhaps the play I thought was the biggest was right out of halftime. He went right at the rim and got a fourth foul on Morant 30 seconds into the third quarter. From that point on, Morant had to play tentatively on defense, and they tried to hide him. But if they put Morant on Okoro and Okoro had a perfect night, I consider that a win. Good night for Isaac. Six guys in double digits for the Cavs. You had Garland leading the way with 32, Osman the second leading scorer, and they talked about it on the pro- the broadcast. He's second to only Isaiah Joe in the entire NBA in terms of plus-minus off the bench tonight. His plus-minus, a 20. Tied for the team lead with Jared Allen. So just an excellent night from Osman, and I think everybody had to go away feeling very good. Mobley, amazing first half. Garland, end-to-end domination. Osman, huge, huge minutes that should carve him out a more consistent spot in the rotation. Now, I think I'm one of the later people to the play Osman more train. I've even discounted some of the metrics as saying, like, well, you know, I don't know that I, I take as much from them as so many other people do, and I understand Osman makes some bad defensive plays, and he's on a short leash with JB. He always has been. But tonight, yes, I loved Osman, and I began to reassess my own feelings on him and say, perhaps you have it wrong, Bob. Perhaps there is something to these metrics. And I will take an evening like tonight from Jetty Osman over one from Sunday anytime because this was a big statement went on national TV. So bravo to Jetty. Osman's a gambler. Yes, sometimes he makes bad plays. He did foul a guy on a three-point shot, but that was the lone thing that jumps out in my mind as a play that I wish we could have back because Osman, his ability to put the ball on the floor, his ability to go to the basket, and to see him go to the rim, get fouled, have Bain do a little extracurricular afterwards, and for Osman to walk up to him, it led to Bain getting a technical. I loved it. Osmond didn't escalate it anymore, but he let him know he wasn't going to get punked. You fucking pussy! And to see those guys try to play mind games with the Cavs, only to roll into the fourth quarter and have supple, 22-year-old, baby-faced Isaac Okoro go three for three and score six of his 12 points in the final period and have Ricky Rubio score 11 of his 13 points and go four for five in the final period. Those are the type of unlikely performers that when they come up big in crunch time, man, does it make you feel good about the prospects of this team. One day, I'm despondent about the bench as we lose to the Miami Heat or we have a game like we had in the Knicks game where we sucked in the second half and we didn't get anything from the bench. And then tonight, we get a 40-plus point performance from the bench guys, and Osman looks like the guy that we should funnel offense through. So there's going to be a lot of conversations with the trade deadline just around the corner. I saw even more today. Cam Reddish. Oh, why is Kevin Love benched? Is he going to be moved? Is Levert actually injured, or is he going to be moved? I guess we don't know. It's a little wild. I think the conspiracy is about Karis Levert. I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but do I think he was hurt? Yes, absolutely. This is a guy who we should count our lucky stars. He's been healthy as much as he has this season. I think you can just take it on face value. Now, if he gets traded, I'll be proven wrong yet again. But again, 
if I'm proven wrong in ways that benefit the Cavaliers, I hope to be the stupidest podcaster in America. So as it sits with Kevin Love, that's two games in a row now that he's a healthy scratch. So I'll be curious to see if and when he gets back into this rotation. I wouldn't mind them just riding it out towards All-Star break, essentially, with what we have. Give Dean a chance to find some kind of rhythm. Let Osman see if he can get some consistent minutes, not these 20 minutes, 5 minutes, 20 minutes, 5 minutes, 20 minutes, 5 minutes. Let's roll with him for a while. JB has given everybody else a chance. Steven's got an extended look. Okoro is now starting. It's time to see what you have in Osman, especially since this is the time we have to make these assessments. Today's big Twitter story was Cam Reddish, and... I'll touch on this briefly because I honestly don't feel that he's even worthy of getting attention in a podcast about the Cavs on a night like tonight where they beat the Grizzlies. But if Reddish is being moved by the Knicks, he doesn't even play for them. He just logs DMPCDs. And this is a guy who they traded a first-round pick for. I think people get infatuated by the fact that Reddish was a top-five pick. And even though we're three, four years later, still waiting on him to pan out, people are willing to give up assets for him when, meanwhile, Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade have both had moments where they contributed big time for the Cavaliers this season. At some point, you need to let go of where people were drafted at. It's irrelevant the moment somebody is selected. From that point on, it's on them to carve out their role in the NBA. And Reddish has not done it. I don't get the appeal of trading for a guy just based on where he was drafted. If you want to give up a second-round pick in Windler for Radish, fine. I don't care. Windler's not even playing. We're not giving up anything of substance. One second-round pick for Radish. Do I think that Radish can outperform somebody we could find in the second round? Yeah, probably. But it doesn't excite me. And he's heading into free agency. Do we think that the Knicks are actually going to extend a qualifying offer of eight-plus million dollars to a player who can't even get on the floor for them, if the Cavaliers want Reddish, they can probably just sign him with one of the exceptions. They'll be competing with other teams, sure, but he's going to have to take a show-me deal. Nobody is opening up the checkbook to pay a guy who hasn't even logged meaningful minutes for a mid-team. I'm not saying the Knicks are bad, but Jesus, they can't find minutes for Reddish? Why is this guy still getting talked about four years later? I don't care about a second-round pick, and I could give a shit about Windler at this point. He's 27. He still hasn't made it onto the floor. By the time that he's actually healthy, he'll be on the back half of his career arc at this pace. So if that were to happen, so be it. But to me, there are far better fringe prospects that we could be focusing on. Alec Burks, Sadiq Bey, Terrence Ross, uh, Dougie Buckets, uh, Josh Richardson, just, just people who, they're not great, but they're at least logging minutes. They're in NBA game shape. They're not buried in purgatory, despite the fact that the franchise who has them gave up a first-round pick to acquire them last season. I think after tonight, if there's people out there advocating for moving a Coro or Osman, you should be shot. Truthfully, I don't even want to move Levert. I would prefer if the Cavaliers were open to the idea of moving love for a couple people who could potentially contribute. But that's the type of heartless move that some dickhead podcaster would make and not the people who are running the Cavaliers. So I don't expect that to happen. However, I do think JB is painting himself into a bit of a corner here where if this bench unit gets some rhythm and continuity and he cuts it down to an eight- or nine-man rotation, good luck trying to shoehorn love back in there. 
So just so that this isn't entirely disparaging the Memphis Grizzlies the whole night, I did want to just touch on them a little bit more. They are in a free fall. Now, Dylan Brooks getting ejected may have actually helped them in the same way that us losing Mitchell helped us. Dylan Brooks has been absolutely terrible in in the last, even during the winning streak. This is a man who is shooting 38-26 splits during their 11-game winning streak, and somehow he has regressed even further. 10 points a game on 34-24 splits during this eight-game losing streak. So just terrible basketball from Dylan Brooks, at least on the offensive side of the floor. A big part of this slide for them is that Steven Adams is missing. Only played in two of the last eight games. And without JJJ tonight and his three blocks a game, our bigs basically had their way. Double doubles from both guys, a lot of offensive rebounds. Now Bain... Bain crushed us tonight, but he had been in a bit of a slump during this 1-7 and seven stretch from the Memphis Grizzlies here. He'd been averaging solid numbers, 25-5, and five, but doing it shooting 32% from three-point land. And you saw, despite the fact they lost, Bain was one of the bright points tonight as he shot 6-for-7 from outside the arc for the Memphis Grizzlies. So he was good, but not good enough. Now, One other guy who definitely deserves credit because he's starting to earn a bit of a reputation as a Cavalier killer is Santi Aldama. Twice this season, this man has made four three-pointers. Both of those games have been against the Cleveland Cavaliers. That is his season high, and he's done it twice. Both times he played us. 21-10 and tonight. I thought he logged big minutes in the absence of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Steven Adams. But ultimately, they go away with a loss. We go away with a win. Darren Fox goes home with a loss. Jaron Jackson Jr. goes home with a win. And you go home, open the Apple Store, and leave me a five-star review. Unless, of course, you're a fucking pussy. You fucking pussy! That's it for the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm Bob Schmidt. Thanks for listening. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.